Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thanks for having me. Today's topic, Spider-Man Unlimited, the unique but short-lived series that debuted in 1999. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. This is the show that came out after the mega successful 90s Spider-Man cartoon. Did you watch this show when it first aired? This particular one? No, I can't say I did. Um, Doing my prep for this podcast was actually my first exposure to it. Oh, really? Yep. I remember being excited for it. In the UK, Fox Kids was a new satellite channel that was getting ready to launch. And this was one of the original programs they had on there. And being a big fan of 90s Spider-Man, I was excited. And I was quickly very disappointed with this show mm. and decided I'm never, ever going to watch it again. <laughs> and many, many years have passed. And it's now available on Disney+. Plus Streaming. So I yep. decided to go back and do a bit of a rewatch. And it was probably couple of episodes in i then asked you if you want to come on the show and review it so you could i didn't realize you'd never actually seen it nope but this is a spider-man show that's been a blind spot for me all the other iterations i've watched so the mtv one with neil patrick harris that's my personal favorite well we'll get to that one one day then it's yeah. been a while since i've seen it but like this one only ran for one season and about 13 episodes. Now, what does that tell you? <laughs> it's pretty, pretty short. But I've got to say, though, after what I just said there, revisiting it now, I actually quite liked it. And there's wow. a charm to it. I think what I didn't like about it when I first watched it, it was the only new Spider-Man TV content that we had. And it was so different to what we know to be Spider-Man. Absolutely. And you, that, that's what I struggled with. Whereas now, we've had so many different Spider-Man TV series, films. Since then, I can look back on it now and appreciate it for what it is. It was a bit of an experiment. We'll get into it. There's a reason why it's as different as it is. Yeah, you, you've kind of beaten me to the punch there right off the bat because I did want to ask you how you feel about it now versus how you feel felt about it then. And you seem to have pretty much summed it up. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel a lot better about it now. Unlimited premiered in 1999, and though it had fair ratings, it was overshadowed by Pokemon and the newly debuted Digimon, and cancelled after airing only a few episodes. Fox Kids later resumed airing the show from 2000 to 2001, airing 13 episodes, the last ending on a cliffhanger. So essentially, I think it was the first three episodes in 1999. Too much competition for more popular shows. Mm. They just pulled it. And then they did a second premiere the following year. Interesting. Initially, the goal was to do a low-budget adaption of the first 26 issues of the Amazing Spider-Man comic book. But Sony and Marvel had already engaged in a deal to produce the Spider-Man movie. And so Saban Entertainment was cut from any source and could not use the traditional Spider-Man suit or adapt the early comics. Wow, okay. Also, in the original idea, Spider-Man was stranded in a counter-earth in which Ben Parker did not die, and thus Peter Parker lacked the moral fortitude to resist becoming Venom. However, Marvel Comics did not like the idea and stated that they would not do a story with two Peter Parkers. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, that Saban couldn't use the suit they designed. Um, 
that probably explains why we see this, why we get the suit that we see him in in the show. Honestly, when you hear what's been happening behind the scenes, you appreciate the show so much more because they were so so restricted. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the suit, um, uh, my first impression of it when I when I first started watching it was this looks like an amalgam of Spider-Man 2099's costume fused with something Steve Ditko would have done with the webbing under the sleeves, except that it's on his, on his back as a cape. Yeah, and, and it's interesting that you're saying Spider-Man 2099 because at one time they did briefly consider adapting it. That could actually work, you know. I reckon that was a brilliant comic book. Out of all the, the 209 comics, that 2099 comics, that one took off the most. Yeah, they had that character appear, didn't they, recently in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse with Miguel, Oscar Isaac. Miguel, yeah. I think they're looking at bringing him back in the sequel. But yeah, but outside cool. of comics and a couple of action figures, Spider-Man 2099, it didn't really get much coverage, but we almost got it in animation, but instead they came up with this original idea. There was a Spider-Man Unlimited comic, but completely unrelated to this. They just used the name... But then I think they did some tie-in comics after the TV series. Interesting. But outside of comics, I mean, this is one of the only Spider-Man animated series not to have a toy line, which should probably say a lot because kids' TV, toys is where they make their money. Toys is king. It it just really dictates and dominates how successful a cartoon will be. So this, I mean, this show, it's... It's an experiment, or it was an experiment, and I guess they made the best show that they could. Yeah, one thing I'll say about it is tonally, just looking at it, it it's like a an animated comic book come to life. The the artwork is very comic booky in it, the animation style, and they even use um, caption boxes and dialogue boxes like you would get in comics. So it does have the appeal and certainly the visual aspect and look of a comic you might you might have found in in the early to mid 90s yeah i do like that about the show it does Mm. have like say it's got the panels the captions so it does look as though you're watching a comic book show yeah and it reminds me very much of the the final episode final season or two of x-men the animated series when the animation kind of dropped off and wasn't that great it sort of reminds me a little of that yeah because they they're not using a a lot with their color palette they use a lot of spot blacks and a lot of dark colors to round out the character design with their hair and with their with their with their clothes and costumes and things. It's two tone colors. Yeah, I mean, it kind visually it kind of works with the fact that it's not the standard Earth. They are on a counter Earth, so it, it looking a little bit different. I think mm. actually works in the show's favor. favor. Yeah, I'll pay that. You know, you mentioned the the nanotech suit that that he wears. I remembered it incorrectly. I thought that Reed Richards gave him the suit. Mm. He takes it. Yeah. So that surprised me with this second view in that he takes the suit because, again, we do get some time on Earth, but for the majority of the show does take place on counter-Earth. But when on Earth, we don't get too many Marvel Comics references. Mm -hmm. They do mention Mr. Fantastic in in the first episode, we get Nick Fury. Yep. In the classic shield outfit. Yep. Mary Jane is in there. Married. It's we find out it's actually married in this continuity. Wow. Aunt May is in there, but she has no dialogue. Or well, actually, there's there's some rare instances where there is occasional links to that nineties 
TV series. Yeah. And one of the more notable ones, and it only happens once in the first episode, when we're first seeing Spider-Man in his classic costume, we hear that Spider-Man theme from the 90s show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one. It's pretty cool. I mean, this show has a different different theme song by Jeremy Sweet and Ian Nickus, and I do like... I do like it, but you can't compare it to oh, no. the Joe Perry Spider-Man theme from that 90s cartoon. And, of course, Joe Perry was the guitarist for Aerosmith, I'm pretty sure. That's right, yeah. yeah. I don't know I keep saying 90s Spider-Man cartoon. Technically, that's... they both are, but you know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's just a given. We all know what you're talking about. I say the NPH one, Neil Patrick Harris, but it's still the same thing. Right, okay. Yeah, I, we'll get to it, and mm. maybe I'll come around to that one as well, but we should I don't... Do Remember liking that one. I think Rob Zombie voices Electro in that one, doesn't he? Wow. They've got some big names for it. I didn't it. know that. That's, that makes me want to go back and rewatch it. It's been such a long time, but I guess we will eventually we'll get, to, get to all the Spider-Man I, anime yeah, series. I hope so. I hope we I hope we really do um, decide to do a show on, on that one. That'd be awesome. I mean, we probably will, to be honest. Sweet. At some point, we're going to start running out of content. So Let's we'll, we'll go back and we'll we'll do that show as well. All right. Sounds good. One more thing on the classic costume, what we get here, unlike other Spider-Man shows, the lenses on his mask are mm. yellow and not white. That's true. That kind of makes me think of Iron Spider-Man, the more recent incarnation of him. Well, for me, I was thinking more the Spider-Woman series from 79. Okay. She had the yellow lenses. That's true. Yeah. Jessica, Jessica Drew. Drew. Yes. Yes, you're right. That's the one. Mm. Okay. So we've talked costume, music. The actors, let's talk Peter Parker Spider-Man, here voiced by Rhino Romano. Never heard of him. I know him from Bruce Wayne Batman in The Batman Animated ah, Series. Okay, alright, yep, yeah, I'm with you now. And he's he's done a lot of work over the years, but that's my main go-to for him. And you know, he's still still working today. Nice. Voicing Peter Parker, we know who he is, a photographer for the Daily Bugle newspaper. Radioactive Spider, you know, you know the you know, story. You know the story. You know the story of Spider-Man. But then, again, he's shifted to Counter-Earth where mm. things are different and he gets introduced to a brand new set of supporting characters, characters yep. which which is interesting because you think Spider-Man, Aunt May, Mary Jane... His usual supporting cast. Norman Osborn, all of that. Gone. That's what you know as Spider-Man. Well, yeah, he's, he's getting something completely different here. Yeah. Uh, he ends up moving in with Dr. Yamada Jones. Not necessarily... They're not in a relationship, but she would be the Mary Jane character, I guess. In that universe. In this show. Mm. I mean, there is the Freedom Fighters, so maybe an argument could be made for maybe one of those. Is that substitute? They've got like an alien kind of society or not alien, but like an anim animali, animalistic ruling society, animal class merged with humans. Well, that's a whole thing with the high evolutionary. Yeah. We, we can get, we can get to that. We'll go through the, the human supporting characters. Right. Oh, one familiar one, John Jameson. Okay. So the story starts with him leaving earth, arrives on counter earth and Spider-Man's going to save him. Yeah, Obviously, John Sorry. Jameson being the son of... J. Jonah. J. Jonah Jameson, who mm -hmm. we do see, but I don't recall him having any dialogue. Instead, we get a new 
JJ type person, but with less shouting on yeah, on not account so shabby. Of. But I was surprised to see that with John Jameson, we get the Man Wolf storyline, or at least a version of it. Whereas we've had this, is it Werewolf by Night? That's John Jameson, isn't it? Oh yeah, Jack Russell. Oh, that's a different character then. Mm. Okay, so it's not quite Werewolf by Night, but Man Wolf. But that was, that's pretty cool. Again, I'm thinking back to what I gravitated towards more when I watched it back then. Mm. And familiar characters made me enjoy it more. Mm. So John Jameson, although not necessarily a big character, but a known character in the mm-hmm. Spider-Man universe. He's obviously the catalyst to get Spider-Man into space in the first place. But if we're looking at villains and familiar characters. Venom. Venom Carnage. and Carnage. Yep. But where they're at in this world... Or in this show, the symbiotes have fully taken over the human hosts. Yeah. And then they've got these other abilities where they can actually merge with each other. And they were purposely going to counter-Earth to to merge with something to do with symbiotes. And I mentioned the show ends on a big cliffhanger. Yeah. It really does. I mean, the whole city is about to be covered in symbiotes. Yeah. Show ends. Never to be seen again. Yeah. That, is, that is how this show actually ends. You get to the end of the 13th episode and the symbiotes are about to take over. And that's the end of it. Fade to black. And you don't get any closure. You don't. Nope. We get an episode at least where we spend more time with Eddie Brock. Cletus Cassidy in this, I mean, compare him to any interpretation, whether it's comic, Previous version, film, film. Is a nothing for me in this show. Wow. He's kind of just there and he doesn't really, really do anything. Yeah. He's not the Cletus Cassidy that we know, at least with Brock. We get the the episode where he's looking to be heroic and, and do the right thing. But Cletus, when he, when he's not Carnage, I think he's a bit of a waste in this show, to be yeah. honest. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and it's good that now we're, we're seeing his character getting fleshed out in film in cinema with Woody Harrelson. I'm looking forward to see that. Yeah, he's got a much better wig this time around. From what I've seen of the trailer for the yeah, sequel. Yeah, looks, looks amazing. Oh, when you get to see him at the end of that first movie, that hair is terrible. Mm. He's wearing the worst wig. It's way too big for him. Yep. But they've gone for a smaller wig, so it does look better. And yeah, I'm, That's good. I'm into the idea of another Venom film. I rewatched the first one recently. Mm, and It was good. Surprisingly good. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it three times now. And when I watched it most recently, that's the most I've actually enjoyed it. Yeah, and yeah, I'm I'm open to the sequel here in Australia. We need to wait a little bit longer. Mm. I think UK, America, they've got it already. We have to wait a little longer. November twenty fifth. Mm. Worth the wait. Speaking of Venom, uh, is Flash Thompson in this cartoon, or is it um, Eddie Brock? Eddie Brock. Ah, yeah. So it's the original, the original Venom. OG Venom. Yep. And then there's the other supporting human characters who are like an underground uh, freedom fighters or the resistance. Yep. Some strange characters in there. We've got uh, Git Hoskins. He's the guy made up of bandages. Yep. No dialogue for this character, but he can use bandages as a weapon. He can stretch them. Um, Apparently this hall goes back to the character Sir Ram, who's one of the high evolutionaries. Yep. Soldiers, he experimented on him all those years That's ago. Right. Yeah, 
Karen O'Malley, she she was the other character I was trying to think of before who could kind of be the Mary Jane. Well, then again, no, she's she's not though because there's no there's no romance between yeah, it's, her it's, and it's purely Peter platonic. It is, and I'm thinking back to who Peter Parker's living with, and although they're not romantic, her ex husband is suspicious mm. of Peter Parker. So I guess there's some jealousy there. So it's not necessarily a relationship. Yeah, but I, it's I a wonder suspected relationship. Told, I wonder if he told her about Mary Jane and everything he's got going on back on regular Earth. Well, it's really bizarre because for me, he's only intending on being on Counter Earth for like a short period of time. But the rest, but they end up being there for the rest of the season, don't they? The rest of the whole show is set on Counter Earth. Yeah, the whole show, but I don't know how much time he's actually set there. To be gotcha. honest, yeah. But he's very protective of his identity. He doesn't want people to know as Peter Parker. But mm. again, like his whole thing is about getting home to Mary Jane. I know that it's a character trait of Spider-Man to protect his secret identity. Yeah. I just, I didn't get the urgency yeah. in the show. And people do find out who he really is. But I didn't feel as though it was that big of a deal, really, because he's going to leave Counter-Earth and never see these characters. Exactly. Again. And to be honest, I just didn't like the whole uh, prem- premise of it. I just think it stinks. Like, I mean, it might have been cool for him to be on Counter-Earth for a handful of episodes, and then he returns back to normal Earth. Fine, that's awesome. But to do the entire show where he's just on Counter-Earth, to me, is just a bit lousy, especially if you don't get any um, any closure at the end of it. Well, again, like, you know, they were obviously setting up a second season, so they had plans to tell more story. Which never it, happened. And it sounds like they were looking at heading towards more standalone stories. Mm. And I guess eventually he would have to make it back to Earth, but... Mm. Again, wasn't the, to be. the limitations we talked about earlier. Okay, so the villain's led by the High Evolutionary. So he's got the... He's leading the human-animal creatures. Mm-hmm. Bestials. Mm-hmm. He refers to them as the Knights of Wondergore. Yeah. Which are referenced in the comics as well. Oh, they're really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wondergore is a physical location in the comics. Right, okay. So yeah. I'm familiar with High Evolutionary, although he looks very different in the comics. He looks yeah. more machine-based. Yeah, the, the High Evolutionary is Apocalypse, right? No, different character. Uh, different character, but he he looks more machine, mm-hmm. but I think it's armour. But in this, yeah, he looks very, very different. It's humanoid. It's in the X-Men in the world. He's always referred to as, the High Evolutionary is always referred to as, as Apocalypse or Ensabana. But... Um, they are two different characters. Yeah. I know I know that much, that they are two different... And Sabana is Apocalypse, mm. but different to the High Evolutionary. He is a different character gotcha. altogether. We do find out that he is actually the grandfather of Karen mm. O'Malley. He okay. experimented on her as a baby. She's got a birthmark that he recognises in her as an adult. His family disowned him because they found out he was doing experiments. And that's why she has like enhanced strength and agility gotcha. due to the experiments that he did when she was a baby. And gotcha. she's the one that is leading the rebellion and they're joined by John Jameson. It's interesting to note, speaking of villains, that we do get some original Spidey villains on this planet. We get yes. Vulture and we get Craven the Hunter. Yeah, Craven the Hunter, known as the Hunter, mm-hmm. is bald with a ponytail. Yep. <laughs> it looks a little bit different. We find out that he was actually experimenting on himself, and he's one of the rare humans that the High Evolutionary actually allows to be topside because wow. he does hunt other humans. Yeah. And just like the Craven the Hunter we know, 
is also hunting Spider-Man yep. in this show. And we get... I don't know if the Vulture is, is Adrian Toomes in this storyline or not. I don't think it's specified that he's Adrian Toomes, but interestingly, he's a good guy. Yeah, that's right. He's a good guy. I and watched that episode. Green Goblin, also a good guy. And go. to me, always sounded like Gambit from X-Men <laughs> in the show. Nice. Electro, he pops up as well, but he is a animal-human hybrid. Interesting. In the show. That I did, again, like I was saying before, like when they do things that is familiar to that thing that I like, I did back then enjoy it more. Uh, but this time around, again, like I'm just appreciating it for for what it is. Mm. Okay, so we've said originally they did have plans for a second season. Several scripts were written for season two, including the conclusion of the cliffhanger, but were never produced. Mm-hmm. Home video, back, it would have been like early 2000s, and VHS, DVD, you'd have been able to check it out there. I I didn't do that. And as I said, it is now included on Disney+. Plus. So now is the time to watch it. If it's a show you've never seen, and it's looked like something you might not like, even if you're a fan of Spider-Man, I do recommend you go back yeah, and it's, and check it out. It's worth it's worth checking out. It's worth getting on board and having a look at. Just 13 20-minute episodes, like yeah. four and a half hours, and you can you can get it done. Mm. But Nathan, if you're going to rate this show out of five? Probably my lowest rating, to be honest. Probably I'm coming in somewhere around two to two and a half. Um, it didn't really do a lot for me. I, I just... It, it, was, it felt kind of stale to me, and... Um, knowing that now that uh, that we it doesn't get a good conclusion, it doesn't give you a second season, or you don't get to find out what happens, and you find out that for all intents and purposes, Peter didn't get off the off Counter World and get back to Earth. Yeah, it just it, it doesn't do enough for me. I um I really found it so baffling and jarring, and um the only thing I really liked about it, the only thing that saves it for me, is just the fact that it does look kind of comic booky, does have those comic book aesthetics. That's about it. It doesn't really jump out at me at all well i'm going to agree with you i'm also going to come in at a 2.5 out of 5 mm. again i enjoyed it more this time than i did back when it first came out but yeah it's 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 okay i can appreciate it now for being something different and especially to be this different on tv but it's it's something that i've watched again now for a second time Probably won't go back to it again. I'm glad that I did go back and see it now. Because you got it out of your system. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, when it first got included on Disney Plus, I scrolled straight past it. Yeah. I was not interested yeah. at all. But I'm glad that I went back on that, and I can appreciate it for what it is. But it's it's nowhere near the best. I agree. Spider-Man you cartoon. Do, I think you do have to give it to him though for trying something different. You do have to give it to him for give him credit for at least trying something different with the character. And the fact that the reason why they were trying something different is because they were so restricted mm. by the fact that Sony was making a Spider-Man live-action film. Yeah, so they were happy in what they could do. And it's worth noting as well, like if you think this show came out in 1999, if you're looking at a DC comparison that same year, we got Batman Beyond. That's true. Well, in the UK, originally branded Batman of the Future. <laughs> That's what I first knew that show to be called, and then later came to the name Batman Beyond. Why does why does the UK do that with properties and licenses? So much better. I mean, I don't know the particular reason behind that. I mean, there is some examples of them changing the names of things. Oh yeah, the most famous one was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. They didn't have Ninja. 
Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, Ninja just sounds a lot more violent than Hero, I guess. And that's mm. why they wanted to, wanted to change it. But yes, Batman Beyond was on the air when this show first debuted. Granted, wow. Unlimited isn't in the future, but it looks like a futuristic take mm. on Earth. Well, that's it for our episode all about Spider-Man Unlimited. If you want to contact us about this episode, a request, a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.